So welcome to the second edition of the Language of Mindfulness podcast, where you can hear all about how to have extraordinary conversations every day. And today we'll talk with somebody who has been instrumental in helping many people have extraordinary conversations. Tucker Stein was one of the first people that I wound up engaging when I wanted to learn how to take what I was considering my mission, which is to help people learn to be more mindful and thoughtful in communications, to create more connected conversations that are authentic and lead to, you know, better understanding of each other's and better connections and outcomes for all of our endeavors in the world. You know, kind of a small idea. <laughs> but how to talk about it in a way where people would actually want to hear it. And I went up talking with Tucker to help me refine some of these ideas. It was Tucker who first introduced me to the, to the notion that, oh, maybe, maybe we want to talk about mindfulness in a way where you're talking about mindfulness as a language, since my particular focus was very much about language. And he, he said to me, like, you know, the, when you talk about mindfulness you almost talk about it like it's a language, like we're talking about the language of mindfulness. And it just lit up for me like crazy. I went, oh my gosh, the language of mindfulness. That's it. And then, uh, and so I started running with that. And then it wasn't until later that I realized that that's what Tucker does. That's his actual brand, if you will, to help connect people to their authentic voice and their excitement. No, that's that's true. Right. And I think that, you know, I was, I had a career in the marketing branding world for, you know, 20, 25 years. And, um, you know, when I was in business school, I loved the creative aspects of business, but I hated the number stuff. And as I kind of grew into the industry and, and, and spent a lot more time on the branding side of things, I saw that there was an opportunity to bring creativity to, to the, to the business world and the entrepreneurial world. And most recently, I just kind of stumbled upon this concept. Um, you know, I started uh, volunteering with, with TEDx years ago, and it was part of the, the founding um, group for TEDx San Diego. And I love the, the stage, and I love the environment. I love the community it was building. But um, I, I wasn't sure I could build a business around it. And it wasn't until the last few years that I really discovered that I had this passion for helping entrepreneurs people that have either been in the corporate world for a while, they were burnt out, or they were just looking for something different to actually use their personal stories, what they were doing, what they were passionate about and create purpose-driven businesses. You were part of that journey too, because it was kind of one of those things where I, I have a lot of people that come to me and say, I have all of these ideas. I have this professional world. I have this personal world. Do they actually mesh together? Can they actually be synergy there where we can put them all together? And, and that was one of those things where you know, we, you and I were talking, it was like, you know, mindfulness is such a hot topic. And my question to you was, well, Brett, how are we going to make this, you know, stand out? How are we going to create a point of differentiation for you that people are going to notice you in, in, in a different way, but also see mindfulness in a completely different way? And I think the way you and I were talking was that, that mindfulness has played up, even in the corporate world, that it's this personal discovery thing. It's, it's about what's with inside. And we, we associate with meditation. We social, social or associate with, with this kind of getting in our mind, calming the brain, getting one with ourselves. And there was a lot of spiritual component to it that made mindfulness kind of its own brand. And one of the things that you kept telling me was you love this power of communication with others in a way that was different. And I remember thinking to myself, well, why don't we put a twist to mindfulness 
rather than being the traditional sense of the word, the traditional sense of the practice, can't mindfulness have its own language? I mean, can it, can it, can it be explored a little bit differently or talked about differently or defined a little bit differently? And I remember the light bulb going off in your head and going, wait a minute, that could be it. That could be the notion where we take this power, powerful um, sense of, of communication and, and intentional conscious communication and then marry it up with with mindfulness. And I think then and there, we just, I don't even remember the rest of the conversation, but I think we just sat there and talked about how we can put a language to mindfulness for the for the next hour, hour and a half. And that's what I that's what I love where people can synthesize, you know, their passions and their purpose all, all together. And I think that's what what really resonated with you. Yes, it did. And it, you know, connected beautifully with my history in terms of learning to be present with people and to consciously use language to craft connection. Uh, if you'll pardon the alliterations, the, uh, <laughs> the, the intention there, you know, to create the possibilities of connection or discover through mindfulness opportunities to deepen connection that just don't exist unless you're mindful. To speak the right words or speak words that create opportunities to deepen and opportunities to connect. Because uh, it's really the key, one of the key things for me is, yes, I want to be present and thoughtful about, you, know, I wanna, you may even call it navigating our conversation. Right. But I, but I want everything to be authentic, completely authentic. Yeah. Well, well. And I, I think one of the things that gets lost in translation for a lot of communication and, and the sense of mindfulness is that we're trying to separate the two and we're trying to put mm-hmm. mindfulness over in this bucket over here of spiritual development, self-help professional, but you know, we're investing in ourselves. This is about self. And, you know, then we put communication or conscious communication over here. It's, it's more, it's in the professional world. And what I like what you're doing is your that, that synthesis of the two ends up becoming again, something a lot more powerful. You're taking the power of, what something does for the person and the power of what something does for the connection between people and putting that together. And that's kind of what, what the birth of this whole concept of language was. And the great thing about language is you can develop new words. You can develop new ways of communicating every single day. So the language mm-hmm. is not finite. It's not, you know, it's, it doesn't have an end to it. You can continually create uh, and expand the language as it goes. And everyone's going to have their own unique sense of language too, which I think is also pretty, pretty amazing to think about. Yeah, that's one of the the joys of kind of learning to be present with each individual person as an individual person. Right. It's very it's actually a practice in the trainings that I do to try to subtract your impressions of people that lead you to oh, this person reminds me of 32 other people, mm-hmm. right? And so right. you kind of have to make a little effort to see people uniquely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's um, a beautiful thing. Right. And so listening to that uniqueness, listening for that uniqueness is another part of it. It's like, what makes this person unique? What makes this person special? Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, you're, cause you're no stranger to the notion of mindfulness and you deal with a lot of people on it. And so do you have any notion of like how being more present and mindful of, in your interactions with other people as you help them craft their stories. Um, has that, have you noticed any way that that's facilitated that 
um, that objective for you? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. And for me, especially during the pandemic in the last you know nine months or so, is that we have this tendency as humans to either live in the past or live in the in the future. And yeah. as we're developing businesses and we're developing new ideas, and you know, um, we're 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 worried and fearful of the present moment. But yet we're also not even in the present moment to figure out how can we actually calm the nerves and calm that that space mm-hmm. in order to be productive. And I struggled with that for years. And and, and that was my own fear and anxiety of, of all these things that, that, that were going on. So the, the irony of this is now that I'm, I'm, you know, even after talking to someone like you, practicing it more to get clients more mindful of, wait, hold on a second, take a step back. Yeah, go through a process that actually, and, and they want they're they're too quick to you know they they skip that process because they want to get to what's the end result. Tell me what the, the end result, result is. right? And when they see the power of the work that goes into getting to that result, they realize that's that power of presence. That's that power of being, power of being mindful of what is driving this end vision. So you know there are times when. I'll, I'll sit there and, and even though I, I call, I, I class myself as a brand architect, I'm also known as a therapist because I'll have clients <laughs> sit down and be like, wait a minute, that was a better therapy session than, than, than my therapy sessions. Because yes. the first time they're actually, they're not talking about problems. They're not talking about things that they're actually talking about things that inspire them. They're talking about things that yes. are giving them passion. And that is something that is so different. And, and that in itself is being mindful and being present. Um, so part of what we're doing um, as a collective in terms of working with clients is in order to get to where you want to get to, you've got to be completely present for what's driving that success. And we've, mm-hmm. we've gotten into this, this notion that we are so driven by results and doing and doing and doing that we're not even looking to see if they're productive. It's because we're checking it off the box that we're being busy. And busy doesn't mean, and as you know, busy doesn't doesn't mean productive. Well, right. And the thing is, you can you can do that for three or four years and look back and go, oh wow, is this really even working for me? Exactly. It's, and then when you have that moment, it's like, oh, geez, have I actually been doing something that matters to me? Yeah. This takes me to an interesting segue. I um, was looking at your website uh-huh. and uh, I, there is a, a quote on here that I wanted to read back to you because it was really, I thought, moving. It said, um, have you ever woken up and thought to yourself that you're living someone else's story? At the age of 40, I had an epiphany. You could say a crisis of sorts. If I wanted to impact people the way I imagined, help others find authentic happiness, I had to do one thing. And that moment, the only thing I had to do was change everything. <laughs> that is a pivotal moment. I, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're you're literally... Uh, zooming out of your world and going, uh-huh. what the heck? This is like that talking head song, you know, the letting the days go by. Like, this is not my beautiful house. Yeah. This is not, you know. <laughs> Completely. And I know that song. I, I, Isn't it a great? I love that song. Absolutely. And it's, a, and it's, it's like one of those moments and it's a, and it can let, talk, talk to me about what that moment was like for you and what emerged from it. Um, 
Yeah, and and that really stems back to only about five years ago. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, part of it for me, I grew up um, in a fairly traditional household where it's like, okay, you, you, there's this corporate ladder, you start here, you go to college, you have this major, you study this, and then you, you, you kind of climb this. And this is, this is the way, this is the way it works, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you follow what you know. And there was a time when at some point in my life, and probably in my 30s, I was like, um, this isn't working. This doesn't feel right. Um, I feel like I'm doing this for somebody else. I'm making everybody right. else happy. I'm doing everything for everybody else. I'm being of service, yet I'm not serving myself whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point where it was, it, was, it was tough. It was challenging. And I started to notice myself uh, isolating. I started to, to disconnect from things. And I'm thinking to myself, this really doesn't feel like what everyone says, follow your dreams, do what you love, you know, right. and I'm like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't sound right. Um, yeah, this is somebody else's dream, but not is, mine. Exactly. Right. And, and I think part of that is in, in being in that people pleasing mode and, and, and trying to be a perfectionist in that per- particular sense really drove me um, into a place that just was no longer me, a shell of a shell of somebody else. So when I made that comment, I had to change everything. I literally realized that everything that I was doing was was just not working. You know, I had a mm-hmm. beautiful wife, great kids, you know, everything that I needed on that side of things. But this part was totally like uh-uh, empty, you know, not not being able to uh, to function the way I wanted to function. That old that old concept of what do you love? And and if you end up doing what you love, it's no longer a job. And right, exactly. I didn't know what that looked like. And the parts that I did love about my life in terms of the professional world, I wasn't getting paid for it. It was all volunteer work or it was service work or whatever it was. And even all of the TED stuff, you know, that's a volunteer organization. And at some point I, I, I made this connection with, with a couple of people end up being um, Jake and Taylor and um, of my former company and thinking about that there is enough demand out there of people who are looking for clarity of purpose, who are looking to do something greater and create a greater impact, but they don't know where to start. And then I mm-hmm. thought to myself, well, I want to make a greater impact and I do know where to start. So maybe if there's a way to, to connect those two dots, then it would work. And at that moment, and that was only, I mean, honestly, Brett, for maybe three or four years ago at the age of 42, 43, that it was like, mm-hmm. okay, now I'm here. Right. You know, it's, it took me all of these years to to figure this out, but I'm here. And that's what I encourage a lot of clients to really start pursuing is it doesn't have to just be something you're thinking about. It could be something that turns into something way bigger. Um, but yeah. sometimes there needs to be that permissive voice or that other person that sees you and sees your idea for what it is. Um, and that's kind of what where, where you and I you know ended up coming together was this is this is all of what I've been trying to, to put together. And now I need somebody to help synthesize all of that. And now I can take it a with it. So that's what I mean by that quote was, I think, and I talked to especially a lot of men in, in this space of, gosh, you know, this is all I've ever known. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the when you say this is all I've ever known, meaning their previous life, their, their previous their, life, the prescribed life. Yeah. yeah. And to raise their hand and say, this isn't working after all these years of, well, I can't start over. What, what, there's no way I can do that. And the answer is yes, you can, because I yes, you it. can. Yeah. Yes, you can. I did it. And it doesn't come. People with, do it all the time. Yeah. 
and sometimes they're forced into it. Sometimes they elect into it. Right. And to me, this is a, um, a, a an extension of the notion of mindfulness, because really what you're talking about in many ways is being present with the sense of my life. I'm, I'm not inhabiting my life, you know, and what does that feel like? And, you know, like you were saying, this kind of hollowness is walking through is not actually connecting with me. And I feel like there's a part of me that isn't alive through. And the longer that goes on, the kind of the deader people feel. Um, there's a man in uh, Portland called named John Eisman who created this therapy called Recreation of the Self. Hmm. And in that, and it's an amazing process that I studied uh, with him, who's, oh my God, and he's going to be a guest on this podcast. Oh my God. This is like the most brilliant man on the world when it comes to what makes people tick, how do they work? Yeah. And he's so humble and gracious about it. I can't wait uh, for people to hear from him. But one of the, he has a name for this. He calls it the spirit in exile. Hmm. And so when you're like feeling, I'm not connected, it's like your, your feeling is like my spirit. I'm not inhabiting my spirit. I'm not giving yeah. it room. Right. And so reclaiming that spirit in exile, because there's a pain associated with it. It affects everything. It's debilitating. It does. And I never thought, it, I, mean, I thought, okay, well, so you're not happy in your career, big deal. Right. Now you still got this. You still got that. You still got your wife and you get oh, Yes, but at the same time, where you spend the majority of your days, and you're creating this unhappiness, and you're right, the spirit—it's a—it's a spiritual malady. It, it's like it's literally that there's a you're starving for something to light you up again, and yeah. and, and then it takes and then if not managed the right way, it takes you into some pretty dark places, and then you start coping differently, and you start developing this, you know, and so then it gets it gets to a really risky place, and that's where you know that concept of mindfulness. And giving back to yourself in a way that's very different um, is is what saved me, and mm. that's that's what I needed. And you know, mm -hmm. some people laugh and say, "They'll go, oh, what do you, you know, what are you talking about?" But the moment people start experiencing it for themselves, uh, yep. they go, "Oh, I get it now." I well, that's what it's all. That's what all these. I'm, I'm going to use a woo woo word, but that's like kind of all enlightenment things. Yep. Another way to talk about it is. Um, once you've seen the answer to the puzzle, it can never be a puzzle again. You're a different person, yeah. you know? And, uh, so that's another way to think about it. And, yeah. and so it has to be a personal experience. And yeah. when it is, it's not something you ever doubt. Right. And no one can tell you it didn't ever happen. But, um, but, but what's great about it is it's contagious uh, and people see exactly. it. Yeah. They see it. You know, I, I had and, people go, what, what are you doing? You know, what are you, what are you doing differently? Well, and this is the question I want to pivot on. I'm sorry yeah. to inject oh, here, but this yeah. is important. Uh, how do you talk differently? So I'm going back to the language part. I want to know before and after now, how do you notice that your conversation, how does that change the conversation for you? Yeah. So here's here's the difference. Um, and, and I equate it to, this is anecdotally, and I'll, and I'll get into a little bit more depth to it. But um, I recently gave a talk at Microsoft, and one of the things I told people to do was do a little bit of a social experiment. Because when you walk into a room, you walk into a cocktail party, you walk into any function, and you don't know the person, the first thing is, what is your name? Oh, what do you do? And mm -hmm. we constantly define ourselves by, you know, what we do, our role, our title. It's like, and, and yeah. that's what connects us, so to speak. And I told him, I said, walk into a cocktail party or a room and say, instead of saying, okay, here's my name, ask them, what, what are they inspired by? When you wake up in the morning, what ignites you? And I imagine within a matter of two to three, two to three minutes, it totally changes the entire trajectory of the conversation. And you realize, you know, a lot more about those individuals. 
And what ends up happening is the power of the conversation turns from surface to depth. Exactly. It turns from the superficial to truth. And there's a trust that's built. There's a connection that's built. There's a relatability connection. that's trust there, that's, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's built. And you don't see that enough in the way in which we talk to people, especially when, when they're strangers and so forth. And one of the reasons why I love doing what I was doing with, with all of our clients and, and you being one of them is within the first 30 seconds, Brett, we were, we were in it. I, there's, That's true. Because I'd already known about you ahead of time. You'd already filled out a questionnaire. I knew some stuff about you, but we go right into the heart of the story. And, and that's part of the problem is a lot of people kind of, they put that guard up. There's the mask there or whatever it is. It's that protective shield and that armor. And what changed for me is I just didn't have that feeling of that I had to guard or protect anything anymore because that mm-hmm. opening up the floodgates of trust and honesty, it just, it, it allows people, again, it's that permissive voice to do the same. And that was one of my big takeaways for everyone was start using your personal story and your vulnerabilities as business development tools not as personal stories that stay hidden. And I had more people come up to me after that and go, thank you, I resonate with that. Or my husband does that, or I know someone. And all of a sudden that connectivity is so much different because you've already built a level of trust and you don't even know the person. And I think when we talk about the language of mindfulness, that's what you're talking about too, is that it's not just about being mindful, but the language behind that and the way in which Mm -hmm. we communicate with others the authenticity behind it changes the trajectory of the outcome significantly. Yes. So I love the fact that you were asking people to specifically ask, you know, what are you excited about? What, you know, what, where's your passion? Uh, A phrase that I use and I do a similar sort of process is what lights you up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one of the other phrases I use is that changes the conversation. It causes what happens next to be different and you literally create an opportunity for connection that didn't exist before simply because you chose different words and you might still be really interested in people but if you say something well what's uh what's going on in your job today you know it's like you're going to get a different answer than if you say effectively who are you right well Um, nine times out of ten what a person is on paper and, and, and let's face it for, for decades, we've, we've looked at hiring people based on a resume. That's a one-dimensional yes. piece of paper or whatever it is. The piece of paper is not reflective of the person. And yes. that was one of the things that I, I was starting to learn too, is that I don't even want to, I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what degree, I don't care any of that. Can you stand in your own power and use truth and honesty to be able to say, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. Hey, let's figure out a way we can, we can partner with one another. And yeah, exactly. that is made for the greatest partnerships and client relationships that ultimately become long-term because mm. it's very rare that I, that I work with someone and then after three months they go away. It's like, mm. there's that trust and that, that relatability already built in. So there's always going to be that circle of, of, of influence that continues to come back to it. Um, so, that, right. that, so we're talking- that, that's what I love about my work too, is it's, it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's like, it's, it's constantly nurturing and building off of, of authenticity. One of the quotes I have from um, that talk, which is uh, on the web, I'll put a link to it whenever I post the podcast, uh, was when that was the Women in Cloud Cloud Conference at Microsoft, Microsoft, uh, January 2020. Um, Our voice is the single greatest tool you will ever possess on this planet, and it's free. Mm -hmm. I love that very much because I I so believe that that's true. Um, 
and uh, you know, and and your work and my work as well are about helping people to embody the the use of that voice to right. affect change in yourself and in others. And mindfulness is the means by which you can step into the authority, the authentic authority. And that, and I don't mean like, because I've studied mindfulness, yeah. but I mean more like, this is what's real for me. And that has tons of authority. Plus you mentioned you didn't feel like you needed to be defended anymore. Right. And that vulnerability that that makes possible opens huge doors for connection and relatability and it does yeah. one of the things but um th that that's cool about it too is it doesn't stop just at, at yourself or it st doesn't stop it with with any business relationship i carry it into the way that you know i can have more powerful conversations with my wife i'm able to exactly. communicate with my kids be a better father be yeah. a better parent that way too so when you talk about the language of mindfulness too it, it ends up becoming not just for certain situations it becomes a way of you know communication on all fronts so it's because you're you were really dealing with who you are and you're not a different person in work as you are in the family. I mean, we different parts of us kind of come online, but whenever you decide to be more present and vulnerable and honest and connected, it's not like, oh, and I'm only going to do that at work or I'm oh, and I'm only going to do that at home. It's like you really take that with you because yes. that's who you are in essence. Yeah. And so the process is really about aligning with the authentic, your authentic self mm -hmm. and giving that the tools, the resources it needs to m be m present with every aspect of your life. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things for me to communicate to people is this practice is you might begin it to like, oh, well, I want to be calmer or I want to be more powerful or whatever your motivation is. Right. It's all good. The The impact of it is so much more profound and impactful and widespread than people plan on. And uh, yeah. um, that's part of my messaging problem because you can say, oh, this helps everything. <laughs> it does. Well, one of the things that I, that I, I measured, I feel in my own success was, that moment somebody asked a question, hey, what are your goals in 2020? And my mm. immediate go-to is personally or professionally. And for the mm. first time ever, after 45 years on this planet, Brad, I could say, wait a minute, they're one and the same. So all of a sudden, everything that's open what, and separate. What is that? Uh, it was to literally use my own stories to help others create purpose-driven businesses. Beautiful. And that's exactly what I do in my own life. I create purpose-driven, you know, communications and, and opportunities for my family. I do it with friends. I, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things where there's something greater where I can, you know, all of a sudden, like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And all of a sudden, they don't even look like professional goals anymore. It's like personal happiness. Where did that come from? Yeah, exactly. Uh, more valuable time with my family. Wait, wait, wait. That's also a professional goal because that means I'm utilizing the time that I have in, in my business to do what, do what, what I want, you know, it's, it's just like a purpose, it's purpose driven life, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And business is part of that life. Yeah. Well, this has been, this is great. Um, I'm just excited to see, but you know, I, one of the things I, I wanted to communicate is, especially on this podcast was one of the, one of the highlights for me and was when you responded and said, Hey, I just want to share this news with you. And you shared with me that you had trademarked the language of mindfulness yeah, it was just one. <laughs> that was just one of those things that you know you put it, you know put check that off on your bucket list that a, that a client took 
something that was so powerful and made it, you know, it's official. Like it's, it's indoctrined into the world, so to speak <laughs> to congratulate you on, on, on following through. Cause a lot of people don't follow through either. It's, Oh, that's great. And then, okay. It, it involves action and involves, you know, dedicating yourself and really following through and you did it. And mm, thank you for that. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, it was inspirational and, and I'm, I'm grateful to you for, um, you know, leading me to the, this brand, if you will, I hate to use that marketing term, but it, it really is a mission for me. It's a name for a mission for me and, um, helping me put voices, a voice to the mission with the TEDx talk, which yeah. is still scheduled for 2021. It'll get there. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my first ever premier guest. I, I'm honored. Uh, and I thank you. And, and I love the fact that you chose it to be an origin story and the birth of all of this because uh, yeah no oh, thank you everyone yeah. loves just, to hear everyone loves to hear where something started and there's something about an origin story that's that's really special so i i'm honored that i was a part of that and i want to encourage people to check out uh the website uh tucker stein let's see if i get this right that's uh, t-u-c-k-e-r-s-t-i-n-e.com you got it if you ever are looking for some coaching and branding advice storytelling advice uh, speaker advice uh, look him up because he's uh, he's a great guy to work with, as you can tell for yourself. And, uh, <laughs> thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. So that's a wrap for the second edition of the Language of Mindfulness podcast. I'm your host and mindfulness coach, Brett Hill. Would love, love, love to hear from you. And you can reach me through our website at languageofmindfulness.com. You can send a message there, subscribe to the free newsletter, or schedule a free coaching session. We have some great stuff lined up for you, including an interview with Dan Houston, who teaches mindfulness at a community college where the class is required for IT degree students. That's going to be awesome. In addition, we have an interview coming up with the amazing John Eisman, the founder of the Meta Institute, a therapy, a mindfulness-based therapy institute in Portland, Oregon. One of the most brilliant men on the planet, and I'm only slightly exaggerating. We really hope you enjoy the show, and if so, please follow the podcast, and it's super, super helpful if you can leave a comment on iTunes as well. So follow the show, leave us a review, get in touch, and as always, stay present, be thoughtful, and finding your authentic voice and using that in a way to express yourself more fully and completely helps everything in your life as well as inspires those around you. And that, my friends, is the language of mindfulness. Thank you.